Welcome to the Faith at Work Sermon Podcast. I'm Pastor Jim Melvin. Today I want to celebrate Labor Day and the 60th anniversary of the March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom, led by Martin Luther King Jr. As we will see, and as the title of the March on Washington indicates, these two events are connected by more than the proximity of their dates. Both the Old and New Testaments are concerned with the fair treatment of workers and economic justice. Deuteronomy 24.14 reads, You shall not withhold the wages of poor and needy laborers, whether other Israelites or aliens who reside in your land or in one of your towns. You shall pay them their wages daily before sunset, because they are poor and their livelihood depends on them. Otherwise, they might cry to the Lord against you, and you would incur guilt. Here ends the reading. And Paul writes in Colossians 4.1, Masters, give unto your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Unfortunately, we realize that these enlightened attitudes were not widely reflected in the culture of biblical times. Slavery was a widespread, accepted practice. It was condoned even by Jesus and is condoned in the writings of Paul. The majority of the population lived in what by our standards would be considered abject poverty, while the privileged classes lounged in luxury. If we're to seek biblical guidance on the issues surrounding labor and laborers, It will be through the lens of the love of neighbor and compassion for others. The very fact that we feel a need to celebrate Labor Day reveals its troubled history, the troubled history of labor in our nation and in our world, for that matter. The history of the relationship between laborers and those who employ them is fraught with violence and conflict. A prime example of this violent conflict occurred in the Haymarket incident, which took place in Chicago on May 4, 1886. The rally began peacefully in support of workers striking for an eight-hour workday when an unknown person threw a dynamite bomb at the police as they acted to disperse the meeting. The bomb blast and ensuing gunfire resulted in the deaths of seven police officers and at least four civilians. Dozens of others were wounded. In the internationally publicized legal proceedings that followed, eight anarchists were convicted of conspiracy. The evidence was that one of the defendants may have built the bomb, but none of those on trial had thrown it, and only two of the eight were at the Haymarket at the time. Seven were sentenced to death, and one of them a term of 15 years in prison. Four of the convicted were hanged before Illinois governor, the Illinois governor intervened and stayed the execution of the other prisoners. Today, a statute commemorating the incident stands in Chicago. The events of that day also helped lead to the establishment of the International Workers' Day, which is celebrated on May 1st. Well, that was certainly not the end of labor violence in the United States. When I was an impressionable child, my father, who had been a coal miner since he was 12 years old, 
told me of the horrors that he witnessed during the Heron Massacre, which took place in Heron, Illinois in 1922. The United Mine Workers of America had called a strike, but the owner of the new mine hired non-union workers in order to keep his cash-strapped mine in business. Dozens of the strikebreakers and many non-miners were killed in the violence that ensued. The strikebreakers were tortured and brutalized. My father told me of seeing a mob parading around town with the head of one of the scabs, that is, strikebreakers, on a pole. After World War II, with economic prosperity and the abundance of manufacturing jobs, the popularity of labor unions in the U.S. grew. The percentage of workers belonging to a union in the United States peaked in 1954 at almost 35 percent, and the total number of union members peaked in 1979 at an estimated 21 million. Membership has declined since then, with private sector union membership beginning a steady decline uh, that continues into the 2010s. But the membership of the public sector unions grew steadily. Today, public opinion is divided on the value of unions, with many people reporting that they served a purpose in the past, but they are outdated in serving workers in the modern economy. To be certain, however, the difficult issues that exist between workers and their employers has not been fully resolved. Our modern Labor Day celebrations have a long and complicated history, as we've just seen. Although the holiday grew out of a radical, progressive movement, much of that history has been lost. The holiday was established as a national holiday in 1894 by a law signed into effect by President Grover Cleveland. The celebration of the holiday avoided the May 1st International Workers' Day to distance it from the violence of the Haymarket incident. Today, Labor Day is a federal holiday celebrated on the first Monday of September. Modern Labor Day celebrations are less about remembering the history of labor and more about enjoying a final day off before school begins. It's come to mark the end of summer. As I mentioned at the outset, Labor Day and the date of the March on Washington led by Martin Luther King Jr. in 1963 are related. Although most of us associate the Freedom March with the issues of civil rights for African Americans, the full title of the event was the March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom. The majority of the 250,000 in attendance were African Americans, but there were also many white Americans in the crowd. And King said, In a sense, we've come to our nation's capital to cash a check. When the architects of our republic wrote the magnificent words of the Constitution and Declaration of Independence, they were signing a promissory note to which every American was to fall heir. This note was a promise that all men, Yes, black men and white men would be guaranteed the unalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. King's March reminds us that Labor Day is for everybody. It's an essential part of the American dream that all citizens be given the opportunity to contribute to and participate in the prosperity of our nation. We've progressed a long way since the days of slavery and the abusive conditions 
suffered by workers as a result of the Industrial Revolution. That progress led to the establishment of a flourishing middle class that we strive to maintain. One issue that exists today is the status of immigrant workers and their role in our economy. It's good to reflect on that as well on Labor Day. Although our early nation was dependent on immigrant groups from all around the world as we developed, in the modern economic situation, there's always a concern that immigrants will deprive American-born workers of jobs. I found it interesting when I read the passage from Deuteronomy that I opened with that the Israelite society was closed and exclusive. Yet the writer of Deuteronomy says, You shall not withhold the wages of the poor and needy laborers, whether other Israelites or aliens who reside in your land in one of your towns. Put in modern terms, fair labor practices were extended to all workers, regardless of race, religion, or national origin. This is certainly something for us to take into consideration as we consider immigration and labor policies in the future. God's love also extends to our neighbors. I'd like to share with you another teaching parable that Jesus used that talks about workers and labor practices. It's often referred to as the parable of the workers' wages. Jesus said, The kingdom of heaven is like a landover owner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for the usual daily wage, he sent them into the vineyard. When he went out about nine o'clock, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace, and he said to them, You also go into the vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. When he went out again about noon and about three o'clock, he did the same. And about five o'clock he went out and found others standing around, and he said to them, Why are you standing here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one has hired us. He said to them, You also go into the vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to the manager, Call the laborers and give them their pay, beginning with the last and then going to the first. When those hired about five o'clock came, each of them received the usual daily wage. Now when the first came, they thought they would receive much more, but each of them also received the usual daily wage. And when they received it, they grumbled against the landowner, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for the usual daily wage? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last the same as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I'm generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. This is a challenging parable to be sure. In some ways, it seems like the grumbling workers have a point. It really wasn't fair that they received the same pay as those who worked less. What about that old saying, a fair day's wage for a fair day's work? The late arrivals didn't put in a fair day's work. Of course, the employer can do as he chooses. But workers know what is fair and what isn't. In any workplace, that would create dissension among the employees even today. 
There are two ways that we can approach this parable, or any other parable for that matter. The first is by looking at the message that Jesus is trying to get across. This lesson isn't really about workers and wages at all. It's about people coming to God. At any point in our lives that we come to God, we can rely on God's forgiveness and acceptance. The full gift of salvation and eternal life is equally available to all because we don't have to earn God's love. It comes free of charge. God doesn't require a full day's work from us. All God requires is our full faith. There's something else that we can glean from this parable. We can get a glimpse into the customs and practices of the time from the information that the story presents. What we can learn from this story is that even 2,000 years ago, there was a sense of fair labor practices. The owner hires the laborers at what we are told was the usual daily wage. When he offers work later to the, some men he sees hanging around, he promises, I'll pay you whatever is right. There obviously was a fair wage that laborers could expect, although it would be low by our standards. After the workers received their pay, we learn something else. Those who worked all day started grumbling. Not unlike workers today who complain or go on strike to get what they think is due to them, what's fair, and they take their grievances to their employer. In this case, in order for the parable to make sense, the workers did not receive the resolution that they would have liked, but at least we see the workers felt that they had some input with regard to their wages. On this Labor Day, here are a few things that we can take away from our brief look at some of the biblical attitudes toward the social contract that's made with laborers. First of all, economic justice is a priority. Workers have a right to receive just reward for their labor. A fair day's wage for a fair day's work still holds true. In our modern context, more than fairness is involved. Workers have the right to expect a living wage. Of course, the employer's needs must also be respected. In order for there to be economic justice, there must be an economy to begin with. Business owners, owners must balance labor expenses with profits. And this leads to a continuing back and forth between labor and ownership. That may best be accomplished through labor unions or it can be accomplished by good faith negotiations directly between laborers and employers. We've also seen that the opportunities provided by meaningful employment need to be offered to all classes of workers. A just society does not leave some of its members behind. Employers can be sure that they engage in non-discriminatory labor practices, and government has the responsibility to enact and enforce equitable laws that serve both labor and owners. Labor Day is a day for those who are employed. Labor Day also offers hope for the underemployed and the unemployed. Labor Day implies fair treatment for all workers, and it's a time to remember the struggles and the hard-fought history that has gotten us to where we are today. 
the wise author of Ecclesiastes writes, What gain have workers from their toil? I have seen the business that God has given to everyone to be busy with. He has made everything suitable for its time. Moreover, he has put a sense of past and future into their minds. Yet they cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I know that there is nothing better for them than to be happy and enjoy themselves as long as they live. Moreover, it is God's gift that all should eat and drink and take pleasure in their toil. Here ends the reading. As we celebrate this Labor Day, may we all eat and drink and take pleasure in both our leisure and our toil. Amen. Thank you for joining me today. May God bless you and keep you. May God's face shine upon you, and may God look upon you with favor and give you peace.